Good to see you here this morning, the end of spring break, for how many of you had a spring break of some kind, hopefully a few of you. Uh, My house uh, was one of the privileged homes to get hit with the uh, stomach flu this week, so my children have named it instead of spring break, they call it barf week. So (laughs) barf break is now going to be our new term for that, which is interesting. Another time I'll tell you our story, we also have what we have deemed Halloween, because we had sickness attack one Halloween, and it was just horrible, but... Anyway, good to see you here this morning as we dive um, back into the Sermon on the Mount. So those of you that have been with us uh, for the last several months, we've been working through the book of Matthew, and we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just walking through what does it look like constantly for us to hear Jesus' words to the disciples and his teaching and calling over their, over their lives on how to live once he's gone. And, and I love that because as Jesus' life progresses, we, we come and we start seeing throughout the Gospels him saying the same to each and every one of us. Just as I have taught my disciples, as I leave, I'll leave the Holy Spirit with you. And then all of you, from here until the end of time, my disciples, my people, here is how you walk with me. Here is how you engage with me. And here is what your life looks like. And so the Sermon on the Mount becomes this awesome instruction, this guide, this encouragement to our spirit and our soul on how to enter into this relationship with Jesus and with the Lord in in, in heaven above on a consistent basis. So this morning... Matthew 6, 5 through uh, uh, 13 is where we're going to be. You can open up your Bible there, um, or you can follow along on the screen, whichever one is easiest for you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they can be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what you have done in secret, will give you your reward. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of God this morning. Amen? Sorry, amen? Yes, I went through puberty there for a second. If we go and we look at Jesus' life at this particular time, speaking into the disciples' life as as he's teaching them, we must recognize cultural context. So at this particular time, what a lot of the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees would have known about a prayer life was simply this. I must check my boxes. I do X, I do Y, and I do Z. And not only do I do these things in order to be right before God, I need to do them in such a way that everybody sees me so that they can know I am righteous before God. And those that don't do that, who can't check those boxes, well, they're not righteous before God. They didn't do their prayer on the street corner. They didn't do it in front of everybody. They didn't do it the right way. They didn't follow the rules according to the Old Testament scriptures. Therefore, they're not right before God. And remember, I am because I did. 
And so Jesus is saying the hypocrites, they do this in public because they want their boxes to be checked and they want you to see it. But my disciples do not live this life of piety. Do not do this. This this steals away from this relational God that I want you to get to know. And if we're really honest in this space in here, there are a lot of you that grew up in the church, you've been exposed to youth group, you went to Christian college, you've done the experiencing God Bible study, you name it, right? You've listened to Chris Tomlin music, you worship the Lord, you've got the evangelical stuff down. And the shame of what's happened in a lot of that is it has created a culture among many of us where it's like, these are the, the six things that are, that are essential that if I do these, I'm right with God. And these are the six sins that I can't do, or if I do, I've got to go repent immediately so that I can be right with God. And we just create these check boxes within our faith. And the more we live out of a check, checkbox faith, the more we miss out on that authentic relationship with the living God who goes, I want to breathe life into you. I want you to come to me and know that no matter where you're at in this world and the life you're living, I am going to pour out my spirit on you because I love you and I know what you need and I want to touch your heart and I want you to feel me. That's what our God says over and over again. But if we live like Pharisees and Sadducees and we check our boxes, we miss out on it. So Jesus is looking at the disciples. He's going, don't let this happen to you. Don't stand on your street corner. Don't believe that you're more righteous than anybody else. Even though at this particular time, they would have been called into public prayer and they would have done this morning. They would have done this noon and they would have done this at night and even as it says in psalm 55 evening morning and noon i cry out in distress and the lord hears my voice scripture calls us into prayer on a consistent basis but it doesn't call us to do it in a way so that everybody can see us doing it at very specific times we have religions that do that right now you can hear the prayers take place throughout different cultures but god's saying no I want you to have a deeper, more authentic, living and breathing relationship with me where prayer is you communing back and forth with God, no matter what time of day it is. So I called a bunch of my friends this week, and I asked them a very simple question. I said, hey, what does your prayer life look like? And the normal answer, the most common answer I got, probably 98% of the time was, it's extremely inconsistent. How many of you, in all honesty, if I surveyed you or polled you this morning, would go, my prayer life is inconsistent. That would fit for you. Raise your hand. You can actually participate for a second. Just be convicted. All right. So that's the majority of us in here, right? The majority of us go, hey, our prayer life is really inconsistent. And so then I followed that up with, I said, when does it get consistent for you? When are you good at seeking the Lord and being in conversation with him? Same answer came back time and time again. When I'm in pain, when I'm hurting, when I'm living in sin and the Spirit's convicting me, that's when I, when, I, when I seek out the Lord time and time again. But when I'm just coasting or going through the monotony of my life, I'm not there. I'm not crying out morning, noon, and night to my God. And this morning, I don't say that so that you sit there and you're like, oh my God, this is one of those sermons where I'm going to shrink down in my seat here and feel this heavy weight of conviction because I'm not praying enough. That's not what I want you to hear. What I want you to hear is Jesus teaching the disciples and going, Hey, your father, he's alive. And all he wants you to do is to cry out to him. He hears you and he knows your needs and he wants relationship with you. He just wants you to talk to him. 
That's what I want you to hear this morning from God. And so Jesus goes on in this, and he paints this picture for the disciples. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what you've done in secret, will reward you. He's commanding them. He's saying, go into the secret place. Now, for most of us, that passage translates really well in American culture because most of us have houses that are way too big. We have a spare room in the middle of them that we could turn into like a prayer closet, and then we could be like that Christian movie where they prayed in the closet. But we, we could do that. Most of the Jews during this time wouldn't have had an inner room that they could go to. So instead, what Jesus is doing is he's painting this metaphorical picture that the disciples would have been able to understand of going, the inner room exists right here. It's the secret place inside of your spirit that communes with with God. It's the part of you, yes, it's the part of you that cries out to God on a consistent, regular basis. That's your inner space. And so I grab this picture because I go, that's what I want my inner room to look like, by the way, on top of a mountain where nobody else is around. Because if I'm really honest with you all in here, my deepest time of prayer happens when I get in my car, I roll down the windows, I take the top off, and I literally will drive from Fayetteville to Bentonville on 112, and then back from Bentonville to Fayetteville on 112, and then back from Fayetteville to Bentonville, and I'll just drive that same road back and forth, just turning off the music and crying out to my God. And when does it usually happen? When I have a really bad marital moment or when I'm really struggling with a decision in my life or I'm really disappointed in a hurt or I'm really being convicted about a sin in my life. That's when I will do this. But I know what God is saying to me is, Nick, don't just do it then. Do it every single day. Just come and commune with me and, and just be present with me and just talk to me about your life in whatever way it looks like for you to get into that sacred place in your heart. What does yours look like? Where is that sacred space that you have where you go into the inner space and you let the Lord commune with you? See, what I love in this is as Jesus is speaking to the disciples, catch something here, it's really important. He uses the language with them, our Father. Our Father. He doesn't say to them, hey, you commune with my Father. He says, this is our father. Jesus says, we have the same relationship with God that he does. Catch that. This is really important because what the Jews and what the Pharisees and Sadducees and Gentiles and what this culture would have known is that I've got to go through some priest who is holier than holy in order to commune with God. And what Jesus is saying is, no, cut that out. You don't have to do that. He is your father. He is our father. There is a communal aspect to the God that we serve. And we all have the freedom and access to communicate with this God. Amen? What a cool thought. You don't have to get it all right. You don't have to go through somebody that is more holy. You don't have to come here on a, on a Sunday morning and have a pastor lead you into that place. God is right there. He is your father. He is our father. And he just longs for us to come into that space. And what Jesus is recognizing here is that humans are beginning to adapt these practices and create these rhythms in their lives that only allow them to touch God if they check the boxes. 
And again, Jesus is pushing back against it. And he's going to use a great example here. He's basically going to say, don't be like those pagans who just babble time and time again after their God. And the reference could be to 1 Kings 18.26, in which the priests of, of Baal continued from morning until night, saying over and over again, Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, give us what we need. Oh, Baal, give us what we want. Oh, Baal, give us power. Give us authority. Give us triumph. And they'd babble it over and over and over and over again. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to do that. Because when you come before our Father, when you come before God, he already knows what it is that your heart needs. And you just have to say it to him, and he'll meet you in that space. Now, part of why I love this passage that I think can translate really well for a lot of us in here is I'll go and reference a guy by the name of Donald Miller. And if you've ever read anything by Donald Miller, he has some profound teachings and some profound thoughts on God, some of which I know would not fit all of your your boxes of faith. But I want to point out one thing where I feel like he nails it. He says, in many respects, modern evangelicals today have turned our true God, Yahweh, Jehovah, into an idol that we worship, and we just keep telling him time and time again what we want. We want money. We want a certain job. We want a certain level of success. We want, we want, we want. And he literally says it's the slot machine God. We just keep pulling that lever over and over again until God gives us what we want, and we've hit the jackpot. And so in some essence, as we pray to God our Father, be careful not to turn God into a Baal idol that we worship just to give us what we want. And so we babble over and over again, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. That's not how God works. God works in a space where he doesn't give us what we want, but rather what we need. He meets us in a space where even in our pain and our weakness and our hurt and our sin and our loss and our fill in the blank, he shows up and he creates comfort. He creates a space of community with us. He doesn't step into a space and just give you every desire of your heart because the living God knows that could be more destructive for your spirit than it could be encouraging. Don't turn God into a slot machine God of give me, give me, give me. And I don't know about you, but if I'm really honest with myself and I go to those points of pain in my life when I'm consistent in prayer, am I only consistent because I think God will give me what I want? Or am I truly consistent in prayer because I know that I want to just feel the presence of the living God in relationship with me? And Jesus is telling the disciples this is your sweet spot with him. This is where you want to go. And so Jesus does something amazing. What I love about Jesus is everything he's challenging and encouraging the disciples to do, he models himself. He's the great modeler. In Matthew eleven twenty five. at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children. He, Jesus enters into a relationship with God where he communicates with God how supreme God is and that God knows best. And he's just going to have a dialogue with God and what that looks like. And then Jesus has this moment on earth in which he's going to go and pick the apostles and the disciples that are going to take the word and spread it. And so what does Jesus do? He goes into the quiet, secret inner space. And when he gets into there, he asks God for wisdom and guidance as he selects these men that are going to serve in this particular role. 
And all throughout Scripture, if you study Jesus' life, you see him go away for a day, 24 hours, or for three days at a time, up on a mountain or by the side of the lake, in order to do what? To pray. To cry out to the Father for guidance, for wisdom, for for God to meet him in that space. Jesus models that this is the way we should live, in communion and in communication with the living God. And on the cross... We see Jesus' three very profound prayers out loud. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus' life was about relationship with God and just speaking it out loud. And if you want to get a really good understanding of Jesus' prayer life, check out John 17. It is profound to see how Jesus walks through a prayer over himself, how he walks over a prayer through for the disciples, and then how he walks through a prayer over all of humankind. What a beautiful picture of Jesus modeling what prayer could look like in his own life. And then he says to the disciples, I recognize that some of you need something more tangible. Some of you in here, this is what you need. You get, give me some substance. Give me some tangible way to break this apart. And so Jesus goes into this thing and says, let me give you what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Every single commentary I've read on this, though, says this. We should not call it the Lord's Prayer. We should actually call it the Disciples' Prayer. Because it's not necessarily the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer to the Lord. It's us as disciples, as followers of Christ, learning how to pray and to petition and to praise and to intercede with God above. That's exactly what's taking place. And so Jesus gives the disciples this prayer as a model or a template template to build off of in that particular moment. And he gives them four contexts to grab hold of. The first one is this, and I've already touched on it, but it's really important. It's the idea of the invitation to our Father. It's not that a prayer is demanded from you guys. Don't hear that, hey, I'm standing up here and telling you, you must pray today. That's not what Jesus did. He said, rather, you have an invitation from God to communicate with him regularly. And here's what that looks like. Embrace the invitation. Because prior to this, culturally, they would not have had that invitation. Somebody else would have to do it on their behalf. But now the invitation exists. The second part of that is the modeling. It's a model to follow, not in a required prayer set, but rather the crucial aspects of what we should include in our prayers. So Jesus says this is a model. Here's the crucial aspects. The priorities are what he pushes on. The first three parts of the prayer focus on this. God's supremacy. God, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, hallowed be thy name. It's the idea that when we come before God, remember who you are speaking to. Remember who you are entering into relationship with and hold that high. God's name is to be held in a place of esteem. And hear me, I know that is not popular in our culture today, but it's true. The name of Jesus Christ, the name of God our Father, Yahweh, Jehovah, is to be held in the highest respects because he is God. He is God. And when we pray to him, remember that. 
Almighty is the name of God. And then the second part of those priorities, Jesus says to the disciples, cry out what it is you need. I need my daily bread. Forgive me for my trespasses or my debts. Have other people forgive me back. Remember that God wants to hear your daily needs, even though he knows what that is. He wants you to speak that out over. And when that happens, God shows up in that space And he recognizes the range by which you cry out to him. There's a range that exists, in other words. And so Jesus, in giving us the disciples' prayer, gave us a template or a model for us to be able to follow. Now, what I like about this is a minute ago when I read the Lord's Prayer out loud, some of you, I saw you start, gum, 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 gum. you started mumbling along with me, right? Because it's second nature to you. How many of you just know this, like off the top of your head? It's been ingrained in you. However, when it came to the end of that, you kept going, even though I stopped where the Bible stopped. You did not, okay? Because what you've learned is that the prayer actually ends with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Who caught that ending there, right? This is what's called a liturgical ending that exists within this prayer. It's not actually in the scripture of Matthew. It doesn't exist in Luke's parallel prayer in Luke 11, 2 through 4. But rather, most likely what happened is over time, church tradition, the priests began to add this on so that the people could grab hold of an ending for the prayer because they felt like it just ended abruptly, so we needed to add a little bit more for people which makes sense. We do this a lot in worship songs too when they go on and on and on, right? Like we want to get you to an ending point. It's not sinful. We're not altering scripture here, but rather what's happening is liturgy is becoming a part of our prayer life with God. We're being guided into a space in which we are communicating with God as a corporate body about who God is or about what we need as a community. It's a liturgical ending that exists within this space. Liturgy is a customary public worship practice. And if you go back and you literally look at the phrases from it, it means the work of people or of public service. It's all of us together working in a space in which we're communicating with God. Liturgy focuses on a communal communal response to God, and it goes from praise to thanksgiving to supplication to repentance. And it's the same method, same methodology that exists if we were to look at Catholicism, we look at Christianity, you can find it within Buddhistic prayers, you can find it in Islam, you can find it in various forms of Eastern religions. The idea is simply that we are being guided in a process in which to communicate with something larger than ourselves. For us as evangelicals, we go, man, that's the living God that we know about and we've studied in Scripture and that Jesus is telling us about right now. That's who you are speaking to. That is who you are worshiping. And literally in Christianity, what we've done today is we even break, across, uh, break apart our own churches by going, here's non-liturgical, which is where New Heights would fall, and here's liturgical churches, which is where Catholics and Anglicans would fall because they have more of a customary practice. And what I sadly have begun to see throughout my life is that a lot of times we're highly critical of liturgical churches in the non-liturgical church world. 
We think that they are just practicing the Old Testament concept of having a priest guide the process of worshiping God. But yet I know that not to be true. There is a a depth of intimacy that exists when we as a corporate body enter into praising and praying together. So for example, if you were at a liturgical church this morning, you would be led through a Palm Sunday liturgical prayer. So let's do this this morning. Everybody stand up. I will read the one or the leader role. And what I'd like for you in unity to read back is the all. Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt. You are our God, and we will praise you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Amen. You can be seated. The belief there is that together, corporate, we are praying to God. And we're being guided in that process. And there are many beautiful prayers to which we have responses back and forth in communion with God. And where I feel, me, Nick, for just a second, that Catholics got it right is that they took the time to sit and write down the prayers of people so that when we other individuals cannot find the words, we can read the prayers of others that help guide us into a space where we're communicating with God. Now, in evangelicalism, we encourage this as well, only here's how we do it. Hey, if you don't know how to pray, read the Psalms out loud. That's how we do it. And what Catholics said is there's more to it than just reading the Psalms. Hear the prayers and the cries of people that you have lived in community with. So let me do this for just a second. There's a great prayer. It's called the prayer of healing that's existed for centuries. And here's how it were to go. If you were searching for healing in your life out of a hurt, emotional, relational, physical woundedness, and you couldn't find the words, you were angry at God, you had a loss that you couldn't get over, and you needed a guidance in that, you could grab one of these prayer books and you could find a prayer just like this one. Lord Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, go back into my memory as I sleep tonight. Every hurt that has ever been done to me, heal that hurt. Every hurt I have ever caused another person, heal that hurt. All the relationships that have been damaged in my whole life that I am not aware of, heal those relationships. But, O Lord, if there is anything that I need to do, if I need to go to a person because he or she is still suffering from my hand, bring to my awareness that person. I choose to forgive, and I ask to be forgiven. Remove whatever bitterness may exist in my heart, Lord, and fill the empty spaces of me with your love. Amen. I mean, how many of you hear a prayer like that and you're like, man, that resonates a lot of what I'm trying to get out? Written prayers read aloud to the Lord have no less value if it's coming from the inner space of you communicating with God. So if your prayer life is struggling because literally you say this, I don't know what to pray, I don't know how to get it out, I don't know how to do it right, pick up a book of common prayers. 
and start there. Because all God wants to hear is that you cry out to him with your voice. And he'll show up there. The other thing that takes place in that is God puts people in our lives in order to help guide us into conversations with God. And I'm going to introduce you to some here in just a little bit because all God wants is for us to cry out. I love the prayers of the saints before us. St. Francis of Assisi had a very famous prayer that was given to me um, when I was at, started my job at Mercy that stuck with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled, but to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born into eternal life. Amen. Again, what a beautiful prayer to grab hold of in our lives. Prayer matters, and all God wants you to do is slow down your life enough to where you communicate with our Father. So I can never talk about prayer without referencing a hurt in my own particular life. Back when I was in college, I took some time to go be a part of a 24-7 prayer house that was launching. And in that time, I lived with three other guys that were deeply involved in understanding how to pray, what to pray, how to intercede for the nations. And day after day, morning, noon, and night, we spent our time in prayer. We spent our time in this vertical place, constantly seeking the Lord and spending time with him. However, as time began to wear on, I began to experience something really unique in my life, and that was that all of my life was dedicated basically to the first commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it was missing out on seeing humanity and seeing people around me. Our prayer lives were so rich that we were missing out on people. And I think the moment that the Lord kind of opened my eyes to really see this, it was through kind of a silly metaphor, but it was a great astounding moment in my life. And it was when I was getting ready to leave this particular area and I was going to go back to college because my father was like, you will go back to college. So I was going to go back to college um, after having spent six months in this prayer area. And I had these three boxes. They were not very big boxes. And my buddy was leaving and going back to Tulsa. And I said, hey, can you take these boxes for me? It would be a huge help. You don't even have to take it to my parents' house. Just take it to your house. My dad will come pick them up. He's that excited about me going back to college. So if you can just do that, that would be great. And my buddy said, you know what? Let me think about it. I've got a lot going on. No problem. You're leaving in three days. I'll remind you tomorrow. So the next day comes, hey, buddy, can you take my boxes? Do you mind? I know you're not taking much. You got a real quick trip. You got plenty of room in this nice big Jeep Cherokee you're driving. Can I put my boxes in there? I'm not sure. I've got a lot going on. Literally the next day he's leaving and I'm following him out the door. Can you take my boxes, please? You don't even have to pick them up. I'll just put them in the back of the car. And off he drove without taking my beloved boxes. And the reason I mention that is because as I watched him grow as a man, he missed people everywhere. 
His entire life was dedicated to praying and interceding and spending time with the Lord, but had no awareness to people around him. When our lives live just right here, we can miss out on the second part of the greatest commandment, which is love others above ourselves, which is see the needs and the loss and the hurt and the world around us. Don't become so righteous that everything is right here and not here. And this is the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus does not go through here and go, here's how you live fully righteous just in relationship with our God. He is pushing time and time again, here's how you take care of the poor. Here's how you love on the widow. Here's how you see the needs of the community around you. Don't miss people because they are just as important as living right here in a prayer life. So as you pray, as our Father in in heaven above, as As we do that, it's informing how we live that out in the way we love other people around us. Amen? So as a body, that's our calling. One of our core tenets here at New Heights is that we enter into deep, authentic prayer. We commune with God consistently together. And a big part of what that looks like is going, how do we do that together with others maybe that are wounded or that are hurt or that are lost, or that are fighting some pain in their life. And we rally around them in that experience. For my years of doing premarital counseling, we used to talk about prayer just like this. In relationship, you have basically three ways that you experience prayer together. Number one is with. It's prayer when you come together and you pray over a meal. How many of you do that? You pray over a meal together. That's prayer with each other. The second one, though, is prayer for each other. It's when you are vulnerable enough to say to somebody, I need prayer. Profound moment in my marriage came when I felt the freedom enough to text Emily and say, hey, I'm struggling with lust today. Will you just pray for me? Will you pray for me as I've got to make a major decision about work or I've got this thing going on or I'm feeling this about our son that's heavy on my heart? Will you pray for me? And we ask, petition with me, pray for me. And then the third level of prayer that comes in in life is when all of a sudden you recognize that you are called into a space to pray over other people. You have a calling from God to intercede on their behalf. And sometimes they may be present for that and other times they may not. I know for us in our house, many times it's happened when our children are sleeping and you go and you just know that that there's a lot going on in their heart and that there's an enemy that wants to destroy it or steal from it. And you literally get on your hands and face or you bust open the scriptures or you just start interceding in a strange tongue, praying to God over your child or over your spouse or over somebody in your life that God has put there that just needs you to intercede in the heavenlies. You're called to that. Pray with is easy. Pray for takes more vulnerability. And praying over interceding takes an intentionality in your life. Do you do it? Embrace what prayer looks like in this space. And so this morning, we have some individuals here. They're the the ones up here amening and stuff. I like them. (laughs) I like you too, but they're really nice. Uh, They give a lot of energy to a speaker. From the Joppa House. Robert, come on up here. He's just going to take a second and tell you all what the Joppa House of Prayer is, and then we're going to enter into some prayer time together this morning. First off, I want to thank New Heights for inviting us here. It's been part of our dream and vision to, to be here, and you are the first people to invite us into your service. So I'm grateful for that. 
but we want to go into churches and be part of ministry teams or train ministry teams in the area of prayer. And uh, we've been a part of different events around Northwest Arkansas for the last few years. Uh, where they've invited us in to be do altar call at their ministries and such, and it's been an honor. But you, this is the first church service we've been invited into, and it's because of the relationship that we have with the, your leadership here. Uh, and so we've established good relationship with several churches throughout the area for the last few years. Joppa House will celebrate its fifth anniversary in about four weeks, and uh, that to have survived five years actually is quite a miracle in itself for something as kind of unorthodox as a house of prayer. So Joppa House is not a church. It is a group of churches. Some of you attend from time to time at Joppa House. And uh, when we were invited to come, the, at first the answer was absolutely we'll bring a team. And then when we started inviting teams, we realized, wait a minute, everyone that comes to Joppa House has their own church, and most of them go to church on Sunday mornings. And so most of our teams, we go on Saturday nights, and that's why we're here tonight. Uh, today is because we have church last night, and Sunday morning is open for us. But anyway, Joppa House is a group of churches that gets together for prayer. We, we meet three times a week, and Friday night is our main service, and we'll have uh, worship, which is prayer, and simultaneous prayer going on at the same time, so we'll be worshiping and praying. Sometimes our prayer coordinator will pray something, and the worship team will pick it up and sing it. Sometimes the worship team sings a song, and our prayer coordinator will pick it up and pray it, and it's kind of a back and forth, and it's an amazing time. And uh, we, have, uh, we have prayer rooms that we have set aside where we have leaders that are praying for people just for encouragement, for healing, for their marriages, whatever it may be. And it's, some of these people are, are from, have been with us almost the whole five years. And every month they're assigned to come in and, and lead that room. And, it's, and we couldn't do it without the whole body. And it's a very diverse group of people. And uh, like you mentioned with the Catholics, you know, we've... We, to my surprise, being Baptist raised, I've really been inspired by Monsignor David at the St. Vincent's, and he has modeled Jesus very well to me, and he's, he's just been an inspiration to Mary and I both. And so there we can find a lot of good by having such a diverse group. We have seen the value in all these different groups. And so we really want to promote unity. We want to promote a one-church uh, kind of way of thinking uh, that's why we do these one church events in the different cities throughout the last two or three years. And, um, and so we know we're not going to always meet in the same building, but yet we're part of the same team. And we just need to be, be focused kind of on that. And I look at Joppa House kind of like, well, okay, this is, this is your home here. And Joppa House is like the weekend getaway. It's kind of the retreat center. And so we're part of the same team. And so with Joppa House, we have people that come in. Of, we had, we've had some people come in that were CEOs of companies that, that never said a word, came, stayed 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and left. And they said, well, the peace of God is there, and I want to come through here before I go home to my family. And so it's just an amazing place of peace. We'd want to invite you all to that. But we love you guys, and Joppa House is here to pray for, for uh, our area. We're focusing on marketplace uh, this, this month, next month, we'll be focusing on something else. So we just kind of drive it home through worship and prayer. We focus on certain things, and we've, we've learned to, to not that it is selfish to pray for yourself because there is a time to pray for yourself, but we're trying to find out what does God want done in northwest Arkansas, and then we jump on to what he's doing in northwest Arkansas, and we develop prayer focuses that will promote that and bring that about. 
And so that's kind of what Joppa House is about. Amen. And so this morning they're here because they train their teams. They pray in teams on different areas of confession, different areas of healing, different areas of intercession. So what we want to end our service with this morning is rolling into a space to where you all feel the freedom to go and be prayed over by their team. They'll go over by the different communion tables or pray with somebody on our leadership team here, pray with somebody from your community group. And what I would, I would challenge you to do before you go into that is really ask the Lord, Lord, is, is there a sin in my life that I need to confess? Am I holding something that I need to release that that is is pulling me into sin or darkness or that's keeping me from entering into deep relationship with you? Go and confess it and be prayed over in a space of forgiveness. The second part of that is petitioning God. Do you need healing in your life, either emotionally, relationally, physically? Do you need healing? Go and get anointed and have people pray over that. We believe that God is here to heal. Do you believe that? He doesn't do that. As we enter into that space and tell him what we need and be prayed over for that. Number three is if the Lord has laid something on your heart to intercede for, and you know there's other people that, that the Lord's laid that on their heart as well, intercede. We've got, we've got marches and riots going on throughout the United States. We have what's happening in Syria and Egypt. There's a lot to intercede on behalf of throughout this world. You can get as specific as, as praying over sex slavery. You can get as broad as, Lord, bring about your salvation in this world. And the last part of that is praise. Eldon and his team will continue to lead us in worship. Just praise the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. But use the next 15, 20 minutes to be active in prayer with our Father. You go directly to him. So Lord Jesus, enter into this space with us. Continue to draw us to your heart. Lord, we pray over those in here that need to confess a sin, that that nudging, that burden will be so strong on them that they'll release it. Satan, be gone from holding people captive in their sin in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for healing to fall in this place. We trust and believe that you are the God that heals, not just because we want it, but because you know the areas of our lives that need healing, Lord. So bring that forth. And Lord, continue to burden each one of our hearts to intercede on behalf of the nations, on behalf of what's happening throughout this world, that your name will be glorified and that this world will turn its face to you. So come, Lord Jesus, this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.